So if you will, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 8. It should be located on page 572 of your pew Bibles. This is the word of our Lord. Then the Lord said to me, Take a large tablet and write on it in common characters belonging to Meher Shalal Hashbaz, and I will get reliable witnesses, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Zeberechiah, to attest for me. And I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, Call his name Meher Shalal Hashbaz, for before the boy knows how to cry, My father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. The Lord spoke to me again, because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently and rejoice over Razan, the son of Remaliah. Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria in all his glory. And it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks, and it will sweep on into Judah, and it will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck, and its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread, and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord, who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts, who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers for chirp and murder, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward and they will look to the earth. But behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Uh, when I was in primary school, uh, what is called elementary school uh, on this side of the world, uh, I was a Boy Scout. I was part of the 19th uh, troop of the Boy Scouts in my city. And one, in one of our trips, I was about 10 years old, uh, we went to a really beautiful resort uh, called uh, Umguza Nature Reserve. And uh, while we were there, uh, on one of the dreadful days that week, uh, your boy tried to swim for the first time ever in a dam. Even though our leader has expressly told us not to. Uh, needless to say, that day I almost drowned. 
I remember the day so vividly, all the water all around me, the feeling of facing impending death. I also remember vividly one of the older boys eventually saving me and uh, bringing me back to shore. Uh, since that day, a little over 20 years ago now, I've always had a fear of swimming. Uh, the event was very traumatic, and I honestly don't think I ever told my parents about it. Oops, uh, I'm not sure I did. And whenever anyone would invite me to go swimming, what I actually heard was them inviting me to come and die. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not doing that. There's always been the answer. My fear of drowning was a death and life fear in my head. And friends, this fear is as real as any fear that any of you could be having uh, this morning or you have in your life. Fear is one of those emotions that we all can relate with uh, at some level. And as we read in Isaiah, we see the people of God are fearful of their enemies. In fact, as we look at this passage before us, we see how fear actually drives them to great compromise. Fear leads them to all the wrong people and all the wrong places instead of them trusting in God. The very God who had made promises to them and who's always faithful to fulfill all his promises. So we've been seeing here in Isaiah these past few chapters uh, that there's a threat towards Judah, which is in the south. And this threat is coming from the north, which is Israel. And the north is in alliance with Aram, which we know today to be modern day Syria. In fact, from chapter 7, there is clear evidence uh, that Israel is conspiring with Syria uh, to replace King Ahaz of Judah with another puppet king. And this causes great fear. What I think is perhaps legitimate fear for the people of Judah and King Ahaz. But God tells Ahaz that this conspiracy would not stand. But Ahaz and the people of God do not believe God's word. In fact, they, they put their faith and their trust in the king of Assyria, in a mere man. As we continue in our time in Isaiah this morning, we'll see in this text four messages that are meant to inspire the people of God to trust and hope in God in the midst of darkness, but more specifically in the midst of their fear. And I'm going, I'm going to group the first two messages together for our time this morning. The first thing that we see is a warning about an oncoming and overwhelming flood, verses 1 through 10. Then the Lord said to me, take a large tablet and write on it in common characters, belonging to Mahashalal Hashbaz. And I'll get reliable witnesses, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeberechiah to attest for me. So we're introduced right off the gate to two symbolic prophecies. The first, Isaiah is told by God to make a, a billboard of sorts for all the people to see. He's told to write on this tablet in plain writing, no fancy cursive characters, but in a font and style that everybody can read. He's told to write these words, swift is the booty, speedy is the prey, right? 
That's what we read, that long uh, name, Mahashalal Hashbaz. This is what it means. To bring this into perspective, God is literally saying to Isaiah, why don't you put a large billboard in a public place and uh, why don't you maybe put it along 224, which is a pretty common road where everybody might see it, and why don't you use Times New Romans, because everybody can read Times New Romans. And you're going to ask two witnesses as you put this up who will attest that the words on it were put before the event that is coming happens. And what was this event? It was that God would deal with his, the enemies of his people in a swift fashion. And so Isaiah is told to record this visibly and palpably with two witnesses to verify. According to the word of prophecy on these tablets, when the armies would arrive and they would march with great speed, they would swiftly remove the spoils of war and everyone would know that God is the one who ordained this invasion. Look at verse 3 with me. And I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, call his name Mahashalal Hashbaz. For before the boy knows how to cry, my father, my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. Now, the second part of this same prophecy is that Isaiah was to have a child with his wife, who we read here, uh, she's referred to as the prophetess. And this child would, again, like the billboard, he would be a prophetic symbol of how God would deal with the enemies of God's people. Now, we know parents typically have the singular privilege of naming their children. But Isaiah is told by God, like many other people in the Bible are told by God, he's told to name this child Meher Shalal Hashbaz. Swift is the booty, speedy is the prey. Isaiah's son was a, a living object lesson. Before the boy could even cry, Daddy or Mommy, the two kingdoms that Ahaz and the people of Judah were afraid of were going to be dealt with. Friends, this is good news of deliverance. We all know at this point that the people of God have been a little rebellious towards him. But God is still invested in his plan for them. Even in their rebellious state, he would deal with their enemies. Now, as we study any prophetic book of the Bible, the, the themes of judgment and hope are always at, at, at interplay. And it's no difference in this passage. Look at the next couple of verses with me as we read another oracle, verses 5 through 10. And here we'll see how God would judge his people because they failed to trust him. Look at verse 5. The Lord spoke to me again because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently and rejoice over Raisin and the son of Remaliah. Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory. And it will rise above its channels and go over all its banks. Now the passage continues to, to turn up the heat here. 
And this particular part of this passage is directly directed to the northern kingdom. We see how because the, the Israelites in the northern kingdom refused to trust the Lord, they were going to be decimated by the Assyrians. And this was a judgment from God. Again, this is a more explicit statement of what we read in the previ previous verses. Some commenters suggest that the waters of Shiloh are what we read in the Gospels as the pool of Siloam. This was a, a gentle flowing stream that supplied Jerusalem with water. And Isaiah says that these people have rejected these particular waters. Friends, God's provisions are steady, and in many times in our eyes, they are slow flowing. We wake up each morning and trust him for daily bread. We wake up each morning and trust him for each and every single thing. But the people of God would not trust this steady, consistent, constant, ever-flowing stream. And instead, they rejoiced over wicked leaders like Raisin and the son of Remaliah. Isaiah goes on to say that because of this misplaced trust, the people will be overwhelmed by Assyria. Again, all this is directed towards the northern kingdom. But it says here that this would even spill into Judah, the southern kingdom. Look at verse 8. And, and it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching over to the neck. And its outspread wings will fill the breath of your land, O Emmanuel. Again, we see hope here in the midst of judgment. While they will be overtaken, God would still save Jerusalem. He says there it would reach to the neck. Jerusalem will be saved. Judgment, hope. They wouldn't be completely drowned, but they will be significantly destroyed. But God would have a remnant. The Assyrians will be like a flood, uncontrolled, and it, will, and it will, in a sense, bulldoze their land and take over. But again, only up to the neck. And friends, there is a warning here for us. Are we going to trust the Lord on our day of trouble? Or are we going to go to other places, including and more specific to this context, are we going to look at wicked rulers for our well-being and protection? Because clearly when God's people cuddle up with the world to get protection from their enemies, not only does this displease God, but we lose. We lose more than we bargain for. Friends, God is the protector of his people, not the Assyrian king. God is our protector, not this wicked ruler or the other. In verse 9 it reads, Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all of you far countries. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. Again, we see another note of hope here. 
God is saying to the nations that are plotting all these devices against his people, get as many plans ready. Do whatever you want. Your plans against my people will not work. Strap up your armor and be shattered. In verse 9. But he says it again. Strap up your armor and be shattered. God is way more powerful than any person or any nation on behalf of his people. And friends, God is with us. This is Emmanuel's land. We are his people. Secondly, in verse 11 through 15, there is this warning to, be, to beware of the stumbling block. It reads, For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, no, be in dread. The third oracle from Isaiah here seems to be one where God is not directing this to the general population. He's directing this specifically to Isaiah, of course, to, he, to the people of his day by implication and to us by implication. Notice the description of how the Lord spoke to him. He says, with his strong hand upon me. This means that God uh, uh, communicated this particular part of the message in a much more strong and sterner and pointed way. And the first part of this message was this. Do not call conspiracy what they call conspiracy. What is a conspiracy? A conspiracy is a, a secret plan by a group of people to do something harmful and in some instances something unlawful. Now, the people of Judah were so afraid of a supposed plan for their destruction. And God says to Isaiah, man, pay them no mind. The, the message to Isaiah was this. Everyone is afraid of impending doom. Don't join them. Don't participate in their fear and in their dread. Because I got this. God is saying to Isaiah, do not be like the rest of these people, right? These people, uh, he says. The crowds. Now, we all know that uh, the idea of peer pressure uh, is not one that only affects uh, teenagers. Adults succumb to popular thinking all the time, too. And God is saying to Isaiah, don't fall for it. God is saying to Isaiah, there is no conspiracy here because all of this, all of the affairs of these nations are under my control. I am running the show. Isaiah is also told more directly to not be afraid of what the people are afraid of. Friends, what are the fears that the rest of the people in our culture have? What are the things that are giving them sleepless nights? What's the latest thing that they are mad about and fighting about on social media lately? Isaiah is told, bro, don't participate. The people of Isaiah's day are filled with parano paranoia because of the political situation that they are in. 
They are afraid that Syria and Ephraim would defeat them. They are afraid that they would lose their property, their wealth, their independence, their loved ones, their very lives. And this desperation causes them to look for protection from a wicked king, the king of Assyria. Friends, I want you to think with me for a second how insulting this is to their God. Think about this. The people of God, right? These are God's people. The God that we saw in Isaiah 6 where Pastor Dan preached from. The God who is high and lifted up. The God whose robe fills the temple. The God who speaks and everything shakes, including the threshold of the temple. The people that belong to this very God choose to find solace in a, in a human being with military power. Think about how insulting this is to God to be so fearful of our enemies that our best hope is in a man. Friends, may it not be so amongst us. No matter how bad the situation is, the people of God should always trust the plan of God and rest on his promises. Friends, there are legitimate things for us to fear. There are real fears. But God says to Isaiah, don't participate in the fear. I got this. I have it under my control. Are you afraid of the future of the capital C church in America and in the world? Uh, don't be. The same God we see who's holy, high lifted up in Isaiah 6 is the same who through his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, said that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Well, but we are being taken over by the Muslims and we're being taken over by the New Age people. We're being taken over by all these other religions. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What about all these other churches that are sprouting up with liberal theology? They are everywhere. They are taking us over. No, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Friends, if we do not lean into the faithfulness of the one who promised, we are going to lean into the hands of wicked people and wicked rulers who will overtake us and God's mission for us. So what's Isaiah to do? Look at verse 13 with me. It says, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let, let him be your dread. Instead of fearing what everyone is fearing, Isaiah is told to honor the Lord as holy. Now this is both a word of, of comfort and warning to the professing followers of God in Isaiah's day. But we also see this very same idea applied later by the Apostle Peter to the persecuted church in 1 Peter chapter 3.14, where Peter says, but in your hearts, sanctify Christ Jesus as holy. In your hearts, 
Sanctify Christ Jesus as holy. What does this mean? It means instead of fearing conspiracies and threats, fear God. Reverence him. Honor him. See him as much more powerful, much more strong, much more worth of your attention and your very life than anything else that you're fearful of. In other words, friends, don't see yourself at the mercy of opposing armies because you are in God's hands. We are in God's hands. Worry about your place with the Lord instead of your place with your enemies. Verse 14, and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. We see in verse 14 how this God would either be a sanctuary or a rock of offense, depending on whether he was trusted or not. For those that trust him, the Lord would be a sanctuary. For those that don't, he would be a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Instead of finding protection in God, others would trip over him and fall into destruction. Isaiah is told that indeed many of them shall stumble, they shall fall, and they shall be broken. Brothers and sisters, in your troubles, where is your sanctuary? Is it in your family? Your family name? Your family wealth? Is it in your network? Is it in your education? Have you considered the Lord as your sanctuary? A rock you hide under when you are afraid. A rock that you can find shelter on the day of trouble. Or have you tripped on this rock as you look elsewhere for other sanctuaries? As we read this, we cannot help and think of the Lord Jesus, the chief cornerstone 1 Peter 2, 6 through 8 reads, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you and for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And, quotes Isaiah, a stone of stumbling a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. The ultimate fulfillment of these words from Isaiah is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who trust him will find a place of sanctuary and those who don't will find him as a rock of offense and they'll constantly collide with him, constantly collide with him. Have you been colliding with God? Or have you been finding your refuge in him? 
Friends, to collide with God is a dangerous game. You stumble, you fall, you will be destroyed. It doesn't end well. And if you're here and this rock is your sanctuary, you can live differently by fearing differently, unlike the world. But we fear differently by hoping differently. This is the sanctuary of our hope. We hope in the solid rock, and those that believe in him, Peter says, will not be put to shame. Those who fear the Lord find their sanctuary in him on the day of trouble. Lastly, we see Isaiah saying, beware of the darkness of superstition. Verse 16, bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. When Ahaz was afraid, he turned towards Syria for help. Friends, when we are afraid, we can remember that we have the Lord on our side. The Lord is with us. Emmanuel, God is with us. And if that is true, we can wait for him and we can hope in him. As Christians, we don't have to be undone when lesser hopes fall through. And one of the ways which we express our hope in God is not only by waiting on him and hoping in him, as verse 17 says, but it's also by inquiring from him. Look at these last few verses. Verse 19, and when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter. Isaiah says, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry, and, they are, and, and, and when they are hungry, they will be enraged, and they will speak contemptuously against their king and their God, and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness." God's people had turned away from him and were afraid of their enemies. So they put their hope in the king of Assyria and they inquired after mediums and necromancers. Verse 19a. This is where they went for guidance. And Isaiah asks that question in verse 19. Should not a people inquire of their God? Again, consider the folly of this, friends, that the same God who Isaiah sees in Isaiah chapter 6 is not trusted, is not inquired from, but they go to spirit mediums and necromancers. Where do you find guidance when you are afraid? It always seems like we 
are so prone to trust anyone else but God. And so we end up inquiring for help from anyone else but God. When we are in trouble, when we are afraid, we want explanations, we want answers, we want to make sense of our world, we want to know what to do. And friends, all these are a good human instincts. But in Isaiah's day, as in our day, people choose to go to spirit mediums for their answers. How is your praying life reflective of your fear of God and your hope in him? Is God where you go to inquire to make sense of the world around you as you increasingly get afraid? Perhaps some of us are tempted to actually go to actual spirit mediums. But I would say perhaps the vast majority of the people in this room, maybe that's not a temptation. But we have a type of mediums and necromancers that we gravitate towards when we want to make an understanding of our, of our life. Perhaps there's a smart Alec on CNN or Fox News or, or Facebook who we ritually go to inquire and understand what the world is and how we should respond to it and make sense of it. Friends, it is jarring to me that in our day, the word of God is disregarded. As we slowly but surely engage the words of pundits and journalists and reporters and politicians and commenters to shape our reality. It's jarring to the teaching and to the testimony, Isaiah says, to the word. This is where we go. May we be people that go to this book to make sense of our world and to know how to respond. Because those who fear God will find him as their sanctuary in the day of trouble. And those who don't, we read here, they'll be thrust into the thick of darkness. His word can guide us. Through his son, he saves us. Through his promises, he keeps us. We will not be afraid. We will only be afraid of God. Where are you going to go when you are afraid? Friends, there is no better place for us to go than to God, to fear him, especially on the day of trouble. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we confess our proneness to go to many other places, but you, when we are fearful and anxious and in trouble. But Father, we pray and ask that we be people that inquire of you, that we be people that come to you, that Lord, we won't turn our attention to politicians or wicked men, or other people that are not you as places to find answers in our trouble. Lord, help us to trust you. And we pray all these things through your son's name. Amen.